We're going to endeavor tonight to finish learning about renewing our mind. The process of renewing your mind it takes the rest of your life. But um, let's prepare to get into God's Word. We've already prayed over it. And uh, just kind of give you a little review. We're learning about why it's important to renew our mind. The Bible tells us that, um, that we are transformed by the process of renewing our mind. When you come to Christ, we're messed up. Some of us know we're messed up. Some of us don't know we're messed up. But in God's eyes, we're all messed up. That's, why, that's not a theological term. That's a practical term. That's why Jesus came. Because in one area of life, we're in some kind of bondage. All of us were in bondage to sin. And Jesus came to set us free, to win us back into the, king, into the family of God that God originally intended man to be in. And when he did it, he didn't, you know, I, when I got saved, I thought what, what Jesus did for me is he meant I didn't have to go to hell and now I could go to heaven. And, and that's true, but it meant so much more than that. What I've come to learn as I've, through my years of walking with the Lord and studying, is that Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God and deposit that inside of us. And when you're born again, when you come to Christ... Literally what happens is you are born again, a second time. And that birth is on the inside of you. It's your inner nature, the real you, your spirit man, and your soul. And what the Bible tells us is that when you come to Christ, when you receive Him, that old person that you were on the inside, that sinner you were by nature died, and a new person was born in you. The Bible calls that a new creation. But then the Bible tells us a bit about that new creation, that all the attributes, the nature, the characteristics of God are born into you, just as the characteristics of Anita and me were born into our four children when they were born, when they were conceived and came forth. Each of them has different qualities or characteristics of us. Uh, even though two of them are twins and are identical, they still have different characteristics, but they're from us. And that's not shocking. It's normal that they should begin to look like us and maybe even sound like us at times because they're our children. They've come out of us. Well, in the same way, the part of you that was born again that has God's nature in it, ought to begin to act like God, ought to begin to have his heart, his motives, his ways about him. And, and the Bible tells that the, that's deposited on the inside when Christ came in you through the Holy Spirit. And the rest of our life is the process of being, uh, Paul talks about until Christ be formed in you. And that's literally not in being deposited in you, but being formed so that he comes to the outside. That word formed is a word which means to take what's on the inside and begin to bring it to the outside because it's when Christ is beginning to come out of you that that begins to affect other people as well as you begin to enjoy that change in your life. So that means whatever He is, we are, we are becoming. So as we were singing tonight about whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Jesus was the freest man that ever walked on the face of the earth. Well, we ought to be free. Satan tried to, keep him, tried to get him in bondage, but he couldn't find no place in him. So he's in the process of bringing... But the way we do that, the Bible says, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, which literally means to change how we think. And we've learned how the mind works. The mind works through the, the unit of thoughts. And, and thoughts in your mind. No thought that you've ever had ever disappeared. It's in there somewhere. I find as I get older, it's harder to pull some of them back, but they're still in there. And sometimes I have thoughts that are triggered by emotion, by, by a smell or, or a, a memory of something, and all those thoughts begin to come back again because they're all still in there. And when your mind takes thoughts in, it begins to try to put them together and form some kind of meaning out of that. And the picture that that meaning gives to you, the Bible calls an imagination. 
And that imagination, when you meditate on it long enough, and it's been in there long enough, begins to form a stronghold. And those strongholds are what have controlled your life. They're what keep us, the Bible says, they, 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 they exalt themselves against knowing God. And so the things in your life, as you read the Word of God and you try to apply it, and you find that you still struggle with it, in many cases it's because there's strongholds that have been built into us through our childhood and even through our adulthood sometimes that exalt itself, resist the knowledge of God. And one of the strongest of those is any kind of religion. Many of us were raised in church that told us what God was like and how God acted and what God would do. And I find even today as I meditate on some scriptures, those strongholds still fight to hold on to the image of God that is completely unscriptural. And so it's work. So that's what we've been learning to do. And so we've gone through the process of learning that we're learning to do is to intentionally take new thoughts God-given thoughts out of His Word and plant those in our mind. And when you do that enough, we begin to form different images that become different strongholds that begin to control us the way the wrong ones did. These begin to control us of what God is like. And so that's what we've been learning to do. And we've come through and we've talked about that. I've taught you some tools to do that, confessions and meditations. And it works if we just do them. And what we began to look at last time, and we'll finish up tonight, is, is you can have all of that mastered. You can have cards, you can meditate, you can confess, you can be putting the right thoughts in, but what those thoughts are intended to do is to change you. Because the process of renewing our mind is the process of change. And if we don't have an attitude that cooperates with that change, you can do all the right things and you're still not going to change. So we've been ending the end of this course, the end of this material, is to look at certain key attitudes we have to have about change. And so that's what we began to look at last time. And we're going to go through, I'll remind you of just a couple of these, and then we'll get into the new ones. So the first thing, so we're looking at... We're looking at... We're looking at, there we go, the attitude of change. And the first thing we looked at, the beginning of all of this, is you have to have a strong desire to change. And I start with that one because the rest of these won't work if you're not motivated. If you're not motivated. I heard a story a long time ago, and it's just a story. I don't, it, it may be true somewhere, but I, the story that was told to me was not told as if it were a true story. About a, a, a young boy that was, saw this older gentleman sitting on the shore, and he was catching fish left and right, and the boy had been sitting there downstream a little bit and wasn't catching anything. And, and he comes to the, this young man, the older man, and he says, I want to learn to catch fish the way you do. He says, well, I'm a master of this. I've been doing this for years. And you don't learn this overnight, but I want to learn what you've learned. He said, okay, come here. And he gets close. He says, let's lean down to the water. And they both leaned down to the water. And the older man took his hand behind the gentleman's head, the young boy's head, and shoved his head into the water and held it down. And the boy's screaming like this, like that, and finally brings him up. He goes, <gasps> he said, when you want to learn to fish the way I do, as much as you wanted that breath, then you'll be able to do it. It's that desire that when things don't work, you don't quit. We looked last week at some stories in the Bible of people that wanted something from Jesus, and they didn't let even Jesus talk them out of it. 
There was the woman whose daughter was demon-possessed, who wasn't a Jew. She had no covenant right for anything. And she comes to Jesus and she, she demands you know, that, that you set my daughter free. And he looks at her and he says, I only came to the, to the tribe of Israel. I didn't come to the to people I don't have a co- God doesn't have a covenant with. I didn't come to, to, to feed dogs. He called her a dog. And in that day and age, a dog was not just a little four-legged animal that was fluffy. You know, it was considered uh, scum. It was considered dirt. She, he insulted her, and she said she took that insult and turned it around to a claim that says even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fell from the table. She wouldn't be denied even by him. We looked at the woman with the issue of blood, convention, her condition. She's bleeding for 12 years. All the doctors had tried to help her. She was worse. And she has to fight on her hands and knees to get a hold of the hem of his garment because she said, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be whole. Nothing would stop them. That's the kind of desire it takes. And this is why many people, whether it's dieting, whether it's getting free from some things, this is why many people don't make it because they don't have the strong desire. Say, so what do I do if I don't have the strong desire? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you have one. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you have one. This is why many people fail standing in faith is because they're not motivated enough. Maybe motivated, but not enough. The next thing we looked at is openness, which means you have to be teachable. You have to admit you don't know everything. You have to admit that whatever you're doing isn't working. So maybe you need to learn something else. This was a hard thing for me to learn because I was, it was a stage in my life where I thought I knew a lot. And the old adage is, the older you get, the more you know you don't know. Well, it's true. And I've had to come to realize, I don't know anything. And the more I've recognized I don't know, the more open I am to be taught. And when you have an area where you just, you're, you're, you know, I know what I need to know about this. I've been trying this. It doesn't work. Whatever it is, you get set in your ways. You've just closed off an avenue for God to help you and to teach you. So we have to remain te- teachable or open to, to, for God to speak to us. Anytime we become unteachable, we refuse to change, and we really start the process of dying. And then closely related to this is truth, which is willingness to face reality. Because God is a God of truth, which means God only deals in truth. And therefore, God can only come to where you really are in the process of change. And if you think you're somewhere where you're not, God's not going to come to where you think you are. He's going to come to where you are. So if you're trying to pretend you got it all together and you don't have anything together, God's going to come to where... He'll help you where you are, but you've got to be willing to admit where you are and allow the Holy Spirit to show you where you are. I mentioned briefly Sunday, and I'll probably get into it more a little bit this Sunday. We're the worst people to evaluate where we are. Because we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge others by their performance. So we look at ourselves and say, well, I'm trying hard. Well, how, 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 how far has your trying hard gotten you? The measure is in the results. So truth, and we talked about in 1 John, uh, the Apostle John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God is truth or light. And so we have to be willing to allow God's Holy Spirit to shine His light on those areas of our life that may be uncomfortable. And you know, you've got to learn to watch yourself. I found myself even today. 
I'd gone home. We had at a funeral we did today, and we did some meetings here. Then I went home a little early just to get some rest. And I got up and I started reading a book that I've been reading on healing. And there's some things in there that were a little challenging to me. And I found I just wanted to skip over to the end of that chapter and go on. I caught myself because there's certain things when I'm reading, I, I just, you know, it's not a big reaction, but just this little subtle thing, well, I either already know that or I don't want to, I'll go to the next thing. And what it is, I'm trying to avoid facing something. So I have to discipline myself and go, what is it I don't want to face here? Because I don't mind reading things that reinforce how well I'm doing in certain areas, but the things I don't want to read are the things that may confront something in me that I don't want to look at because when I see it, now I got to do something with it. When I've read it, now I've got a choice. I'm either going to obey it or disobey it. So it's much easier to avoid it and not look at it because then I'm not responsible for it. It's kind of like the ostrich sticking his head in the ground, pretending that the, that the, that the, that the, that the lions aren't coming at him. He's, you're the most exposed when your head's in the ground. All right, praise God. Okay, so that's kind of where we, that's not, that's where we ended up last time. So we're going to go on to the next one. And this is very important in a lot of areas of our life. And this is action, act. We can do all of this, we can be ready to change, we can be open, we can have the desire, we can be willing to face things, but at some point we have to do something. At some point we have to do something. I've mentioned to you a number of times before, not just in the context of this, of this course, but also in the context of other teachings, that there's a difference between teaching and training. There's a difference between teaching and training. When I went through basic training, and I find there were some days where we sit in a classroom and they would teach you certain principles and you'd take notes and write them down. But then there are other days when they would get you out on the field to march, they would take you through certain exercises. And those exercises were not to teach you information, they were to change your behavior. So when you go through basic training, one of the first things you discover is you don't get to choose when you wake up, you don't get to choose what you wear, you don't get to choose your hairstyle anymore. You don't get to choose anything at all. And part of basic training is to teach you, is to train you, not teach you, to train you to change your behavior. Because when you're out on that battlefield and those bullets are flying, that's not a time when you pull out your notebook and say, let's see, what did Sergeant Smith tell me you do when the bullets are flying? Oh, that's right, you keep your head down. No, you better be trained what to do. So they take you out on a field and they file tracer bullets over your head. So you've been in that situation and your, your, your flesh and your mind are trained what to do. So training is to force your behavior, force you to behave in a way you would not normally want to do or force you to not do something that you would normally want to do. Is to change your behavior. That requires action. So change in order to truly be changed, and this is Ed, uh, Ed Cole's famous statement, change isn't change until you change. So getting inspired to change isn't change. Getting, get, reading books about changing isn't change. Making confessions about change isn't change. At some point, you've got to change your behavior, change what you do. So in order to for this change to come about in your life, in order for the renewing of the mind to actually bring about change in your life, there has to be at some point where you begin to act on what you saw. In fact, I've learned the principle that once God shows you something, the longer you wait to act on it, the less likely you are to do it. Because the longer you wait, 
the less inspired you are, the longer you wait, the more opportunity you give your mind to talk you out of it. Have you ever had the Spirit of God tell you to go do something or call somebody? You say, well, I'll get to that. Well, by the later on the day, you've either forgotten about it or now you're questioning whether that was God or not. Because you knew it was at the time, but now because you've waited, now the, the, the anointing, the inspiration to do it is kind of gone, and now you've got to kind of do it on your own inspiration, and the willpower to do that is kind of fading away. So it's important that we learn to act. Turn with me now to um, James chapter 2. And we're going to learn an important aspect of faith, because it applies here. James chapter 2. And, and while you're turning there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read another scripture to you, which they won't put out. I didn't give it to them. Where basically James says, if um, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So when you hear something, but you don't do it, you end up deceiving yourself. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a, and, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. And so when you, when you hear the word, but then you don't act on it, the Bible says you deceive yourself. And I was meditating on that one day and said, well, how, do, how is it that de- you deceive yourself by simply hearing it and then not doing it? Because when you hear the word, a truth, when you hear something that may correct you, it may inspire you, there's an emotional reaction you have to it. It encourages you. It, it, it builds your faith. Even when God corrects you about something, that's one of the ways to know whether it's God correcting you or the devil condemning you. When God corrects you, it encourages you and builds up your faith because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Even if it's a word of correction, it builds faith in you that you can do that change. You can make that change. And so when you hear that, it, it, gets, it touches your heart and it inspires you. And at that time, there's this temporary sense of relief. If you've ever been in a service and you heard a word and boy, it really inspired you and you walk out the door, wow, that's just what I needed to hear. And you walk out that door, there's, you're encouraged that everything's okay. There's a change coming about because you saw it. But if you don't determine you're going to actually act on that, you've deceived yourself because you've mistaken the emotion of the encouragement for actually changing. And then what happens is when it doesn't work out, you can then become discouraged later on and begin eventually to either two things happen. When you keep hearing the word and it doesn't work. By the way, the word always works. Uh, The word always works. So if you heard it and it didn't work, it's not because the word didn't work. Something's wrong on our end. Because God's word is the truth. It always works. But what happens when you've been but when you've been believing it or you've been trying it and it doesn't work, one of two things happens because we settle for one of two things. Either we get really discouraged and we just tune God out. This doesn't work and I either go back to my old lifestyle or the other thing which is more common, we learn to live in two worlds. We go to church and this is the church world where we hear the word of God and we all agree with it and say, praise God, I'm free indeed, we've been set free, free indeed. And we walk right back out into that bondage expecting nothing to change in our life. So we learn to, set, we learn to settle 
for that compromise of, yes, we believe all that here, but we go back out there and don't expect anything to change. That's exactly what the devil wants us to do. Because all we're doing is being a bless-me club with each other, but he's not able to use us to check, check, affect and change the world. And so that's what happens. We deceive ourselves by thinking there's a change taking place when all we're doing is we're feeling temporarily better. So what are we to do? James chapter 2 tells us this. Gives us a little more insight into this. We'll pick up in verse 20. Do you not know, O foolish man, that's not a compliment, that faith without works is dead, or that word also means useless. Faith without works is dead. Let's put it another way. Some translations put it this way. Faith, which is what you believe, whatever that may be, it may be for healing of your body. It may be to be set free from some bondage to something that you're in. But whatever it is of God's Word that you've applied your faith and you say, yes, I see it, I believe that. And what James is saying, if, if you believe something, believing's not just an emotion. Believing's not just a state of mind. Because when you truly believe something, you will begin to act in line with what you believe. So another way to read this verse is faith without corresponding action is useless. Faith without works. This is not we earn our salvation or we won't earn anything from God, but the measure of what we believe is in what we do, not how we feel. That's what James is saying here. Because actually back in verse uh, eight, 17 he says, Thus, faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead, or corresponding action. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And now he's going to, let's go down to verse 21. He gives an example. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Just to remind you what that story's about, Abraham was a man that God had chosen that was a moon worshiper in the old ba Babylon, the old Chaldea. He called him and called him to come and form a new nation through him. And Abraham at the time was 75 years old and his wife was 65 years old and she was barren. She had produced no children for him. And God appears to him and speaks to him and says, I have chosen you and I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And, and Abraham's first reaction was, how are you going to do that since I don't even have a son and the heir that I have, Eliezer, wasn't born to us? Because the practice in those days, if you, if you did not produce an heir, you could choose a servant and adopt that servant to be your heir and so that your name would go on and your family would go on. But that certainly wasn't the best. So here he is, 75 years old, basically past childbearing age, and his wife's 65, also past childbearing age, but she's barren. And God makes a promise to him, through your seed... I'm going to make you a father of many nations. At one point, Abraham laughs at him. At another point, Abraham's wife, Sarah, laughs at him. And God makes clear to them, because they figure out a way, because this isn't working right away, so they figure out a way to help God. And so 
his wife gives him her servant to, to sleep with her and she conceives and has a child and his name is Ishmael and then they present Ishmael to God and said, see, this is the son and God says, no, 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 no it's going to be because you believe my promise and nothing else it's not my promise plus your, plus your good idea it's my promise alone and this becomes a symbol to us and Paul uses that in Galatians chapter 4 of two covenants There's the covenant under under the law, which was based on their works. Just as Abraham tried to use his own effort to produce a child to satisfy God's requirement. And God didn't accept that child. It was only a child that came out of the promise, them believing the promise. So God made very clear to to them, it's only because you believe my promise and that child is born to you because you believe my promise. Your trust was in my promise alone and that's the foundation for this nation that I want to build. So, But he says it was by his works. Well, in Genesis 22, after Isaac is now, Isaac was the son of the promise, after Isaac's now grown up as a young man, God tells Abraham, he tests him, he says, I want you to take Isaac your son that you love, your only son, and I want you to take him to the mountain I'm going to show you, and I want you to offer him up as a burnt sacrifice to me. The amazing thing in that story is Abraham got up early the next morning, and he took Isaac, he took his servants, he took the wood, he took the fire, and they went three days on a journey until they got to Mount Moriah. And then he takes him up there and he lays him on the altar, he gets it all ready, and the son questions him, he says, Father, I see the wood, I see the fire, but I don't see the ram for the offering. And Abraham's statement of faith is, God will provide a sacrifice. God will provide a sacrifice. And he puts him on the altar, he raises the hand, and he's ready to come down, and an angel speaks to him, and he says, Abraham, Stop. Now I know that you reverence me. Now I know where I stand in your life. The proof of his faith, because we'll get it, we may not get into it tonight. The proof of his faith was in, in Hebrews chapter 11. It says that Abraham believed that if necessary, God would raise him back up from the dead. Abraham didn't think, as you and I might be tempted, wait a minute, God, either this is not God. Uh, you know, because God, because what God just told him to do is totally inconsistent with the first thing God told him. God has made clear to him as he can make it. It's through this boy that I have given you that you're going to be the father of many nations. And now God tells him, I don't know, maybe 20 years later, I want you to take that boy through whom you're going to be the father of many nations and I want you to kill him. Do, do you see some inconsistency there? Now, what you and I have been tempted to do is say, wait a minute, that's the devil. Because that doesn't line up with the first promise. That's the devil. Now, he knew God's voice. So listen to what's going on here. He's got two words from God that are totally, not just inconsistent with each other, they collide. And what does Abraham do? He trusts God so much that he doesn't figure out what God's trying to do here. He doesn't second-guess God. He doesn't reason about it. He simply obeys what God told him to do. To the point that he's literally got the knife ready to come down. 
Does that mean he was planning to give this son up? No. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham believed that even if the knife had come down, God would have raised him from the dead because he still believed that first promise that through this boy, you're going to be the father of many nations. So if God had to raise him from the dead to fulfill that promise, that was God's business. He was just going to obey God because he trusted God. That's what James is referring to here when he says that Abraham, his, look at this, verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son in the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by his works his faith was made perfect or complete And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. You see a man, then a man is justified by works and not by faith only. What he's saying is this. Faith, as you study the word of God and you meditate on the word of God, just like change when you start renewing your mind and seeing what the Word of God says about you, that that you don't have to be afraid, that you can live free from fear, that you don't have to be overcome by sin, but you can have dominion over sin, whatever that sin is. When you begin to get that Word down in you and it begins to build up a confidence that I can walk in this, don't mistake that confidence for actually change yet. Because what this is teaching us is this. Faith... That's you, things you believe in your heart only become a reality when you begin to act on it. I look at it this way. Faith is a potential for change and it hatches into reality as you begin to act on it. As you begin to act on the Word, as you begin to act on what you believe, it's as if you release the power of it. You release the power of what you believe by acting on it. As long as you just hold it within yourself, it's just potential. The power of that word that's in you isn't released until you step out on it. Great example of that is the Apostle Peter. At one point, of course, you know the story when they're going to the other side in the boat, they're in this terrible storm. Jesus stayed back to pray and as in Mark's account, he's walking on the water past them, or Matthew's account. And Mark would have said he would have gone by them. And they're afraid. They think it's a ghost. And they cry out to him. And he says, don't be afraid, it is I. And Peter says, if it's you, then bid me to come on the water. And Jesus says, come. That was the word spoken. Come. And implied in that word come is Peter could walk on the water. Because Jesus would not say come for Peter to sink. Now, there were 11 other people in that boat all disciples who had seen him raise the dead, seen him cast out demons, seen him feed the 5,000, seen him feed the 4,000. There are 11 11 other ones in the boat that heard the word come, but Peter's the only one that acted on what he heard. Peter's the only one that acted on what he believed. And as he acted on it, the potential that was in that word come became a reality in his life. Because when they have the roll call in heaven of people that have walked on water, it won't take long to answer it. So we can laugh at Peter, we can make fun of Peter that he he sunk, but Peter did walk 
on the water. Peter did walk on the water. In fact, actually Peter didn't walk on the water. He walked on the word come. Because you can't walk on water. But you can walk on God's word. The other 11 could have done it. They sat in the boat, they may be, I don't know, we don't know that, but they may have sat in the boat believing they could do this. But only Peter acted on what he believed. So it's not enough to just build yourself up on change. It's not enough uh, to do that. In fact, let's go quickly to Hebrews 11. This is a very important point I want you to see. Pastor Ray and I were talking about this at, at lunch today a little bit. And he pointed out something he heard somebody else say. That, of course, Hebrews 11 is the, called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It starts out with a definition of faith, and then it's a series of examples from the Bible of men and women that have walked by faith and the things God was able to do through them because they walked by faith. And Pastor Ray made this comment that he heard somebody else say, everybody that's listening there did something. Everybody in there did something. And so we're going to look at just a couple of them because it gives you an example of what I'm talking about. There's a pattern in here. Let's go to Hebrews 11:7, which is Noah. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, which is God spoke to him and told him, I'm going to send a flood, I want you to build an ark. Keep in mind that at that time it had never rained. So the idea that it was going to rain and it was going to cause a flood was outside of Noah's experience or anyone else's. And God says, I'm going to build a flood. I've had it. I'm going to destroy this civilization. I want you to build a boat, an ark. And it took him about a hundred years to build it. Imagine that kind of faith. And you've heard jokes about it. They've made movies about it. You know, he gets up every day and they think there's crazy Noah out there. You know, what's he doing? He's building an ark. What's an ark? It's a boat. A boat. There's no water around here. What's well, going to rain? What's rain? I'm sure his family didn't understand, but he knew he'd heard God. So, but the point is, the pattern is it started with something God said. Because you can't believe beyond anything God said. God warned him of what was going to happen and told him what to do. And notice the next thing. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen... Move with godly fear. So he believed what God said. So God's told him something that's going to happen and what to do. Noah is moved by that. But if it stopped there, Noah and his family would have drowned. And, and civilization would have ended. Because, because he was moved with godly fear, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. So God spoke to him, he believed what God said, and because he believed what God said, he acted on it, he built the ark, he obeyed God. Let's look at another example. Let's go down to verse, um, well, verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he would receive his inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelled in a land of promise. Notice there are verbs there. By faith he obeyed when he was called to go out. He went out not knowing where he was going. So he acted on what God said. See, the point is this. It's not enough to believe something in your heart. The evidence of what you really believe is what you do. And when you act on it, you seal it. 
You release the power of what you believe. But as long as you just keep it inside of you, as long as you just hold on to it, and here's the, here's the, here's the very, very part of that. The reason you're holding on to it is afraid it's not going to happen. And the fact that you're afraid it's not going to happen means you don't yet really believe it. Because when you believe it, you have a confidence it's going to happen. And you're stepping out, you're acting on that, releases your trust in God. When Peter stepped out of that water, the only way he could step out of that water was either to be crazy, and he wasn't, or because he actually believed that he could walk on water because Jesus said so. And the evidence of knowing what Peter believed over 2,000 years ago is what Peter did. The evidence of what the other 11 did not believe is in what they did not do. Right now, you are living proof of that. Because every one of you, with the exception of two, are sitting in a blue chair. That's evidence to me that you believed and had full confidence that that chair would hold you. I didn't see any of you when you come in, stand on it, jump up and down, test it. You just turned around and trusted it with your blessed assurance. <laughs> and you rested in it. Because the evidence of that, of what you really believed, is in what you did. And so, action is a very important part. Doing something. And usually when the Holy Spirit's working with you, He will help you. He will give you something to do. All right, let's go on. Once you decide to change, God will show you something, something that, to do that you don't want to do in many cases. All right, let's look at the last one of these. And this is the hardest part. It will cost you something. You've got to be willing to change whatever the cost is. You've heard the old expression, if you've ever engaged in physical exercise, no pain, no gain. And this is something you've got to pay up front. Jesus talks about this. He says, he said, soldiers would never, generals would never go to war unless they'd already figured out the cost, what it was going to cost. You don't build a house unless you figure out ahead of time what it's going to cost. And you need to just look ahead of time and say, am I willing to do whatever this is going to take? This kind of ties back to the first one, which is the strong desire. And this is what keeps most people from really changing. And here's the point. You've got to decide to pay the price up front. You've heard me say this over and over again, but it's the best example I can give. 48 years ago last July when Anita and I got married, before we been, my parents were divorced when I was about eight years old. And I, I just knew, and we agreed before we got married, that no matter what happened, come hell or high water, and they've both come, we would not divorce. I'm sure murder was considered once or twice. <laughs> she went this way too fast. <laughs> but the option of divorcing was never on the table. And we made that decision early on. Whatever it took, we were going to stick it out. And we weren't saved. It's just I was not going to put our family through the price that I had to go through because my parents were divorced. And if, if you've been divorced, it's not, it's not a shame. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about 
what, what brought us through some t- incredible crisis was that commitment. And there was one point when it was that close. That close. I mean, it was with a hair's breadth. And what held us together was that commitment we had made at that point 20-some years earlier. I remember when one of my stepbrothers, who was not saved, was, had a girlfriend. They were living together for a couple of years, and we kind of gathered at my mother's house for a while. And he pulls me aside, and he said, I want to ask you a question. Why did you marry her? I mean, you could have just lived with her like I'm doing. I said, I married her for the same reason you haven't married your girlfriend. He looked at me. I said, because I realized that for this to work takes a commitment up front. You've already decided you've built a way out by not making the commitment. And for that very reason, it won't make it. And within a short time after that, they got married. It's the commitment up front to pay whatever the price is. Because if you don't make that up front, when the time comes, you won't make it. It's much harder to make it in the midst of the battle than it is to have made it up front. And that's not just true in a marriage. It's true with anything we do with God. There's going to be a price to pay. Because if there was not a price to pay, it would be easy. You'd already made the change. So it's what makes most people keep from really changing. When we're stuck in our growth, often we're holding on to something that's keeping us from changing. I'm going to go over that again. That's worth reading again. Because Pastor Michael liked that. Because he does the counseling. (laughs) When we get stuck in our growth, often it's because we're holding on to something that's keeping us from changing because we're afraid of the price of letting it go. I've watched people that are in the most dire situations that are afraid to change. They'd rather live in the hell of the status quo than, than break with what they're doing and endure the change because change is against our flesh nature. Even if the, cha- even if the situation you're in right now is horrible, it's hardly bearable, at least it's something you know and you're familiar with. And many times people that are in dysfunctional relationships, many times people that are in, in codependent relationships, which is destructive, they're afraid to get out of it because they're afraid that I can't survive. At least I'm living with this situation and it's terrible and I'm being used, but at least I know it. I can, you know, this, but if I leave this, if I break away from this, if I make a change, then I don't know what that's going to mean. And that's scary. And that's what keeps us from changing. Sometimes it's a pet habit. Sometimes it's something that you don't even aware you're holding on to, which is why often it takes somebody else that you're talking to to help you see what it is that I'm holding on to. But if you're having trouble changing, really changing, you need to ask God or maybe ask somebody that's close to you, is there something I'm holding on to? It, it may not even be a big major thing. You just may not be aware of it. But it's something that that's, that's, you're comfortable with. It helps you feel good about yourself. That, but it may be what's holding you back. Jesus said, if you, if you... And we'll talk about this as we get on Sundays into our priorities. He t- talks about, you know, if you're not willing to leave family, if you're not willing to leave uh, everything for me, then you're not really ready to follow me. Then I'm not really... First, something else is first in your life. Something else has a hold of you. And it's not that God wants to take things away from us, 
He wants to bless us, but those things we're holding on to are the things that are keeping us from changing. You know, I kind of have this image that gets it across to me. Suppose you're, you're, um, you've you, you got a friend that's got a boat, they want to take you out for a boat ride, and, and you're not particularly comfortable out on the water. Maybe you can't swim, but you want to go because your family's on the boat, they're going to have a picnic, they're going to take on this boat. So you want to go on the boat but you're a little uncertain out on this boat because it's kind of choppy today and, you know, and so you feel much safer on the land. You're a land lover. The dock is a safe place, so I'm holding on to the dock. But I want to go because the kids are in the boat and everybody else in the boat and they know they're going to have fun. So I want to go on the boat, but I also want to stay, stay here because this is safe. But I know the funds are going to be in the boat. So what I do is I, I put one foot over into the boat while it's at the dock because I really want to go but I don't, I don't want to let go of what, what's safe and secure. So I want to go with them. The problem is, as the boat starts moving, <laughs> this starts to be very uncomfortable and very unstable. It's what James talks about in chapter 1. He said, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and won't criticize you, but let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the man of doubts is a double-minded man, both on the boat and on the shore. The boat and the shore. Let that man not think he'll receive anything of God, not because God won't give it. That meant being unstable in all his ways. Unstable because you're trying to be on what, hold on to what's safe, what you know, and yet step out into the change where you know the life is and the freedom is. And you've got to decide ahead of time you're going to take the risk if you know it's a risk that God is leading you into. John chapter 12, verse I've been meditating on lately. Jesus is about to leave His disciples. He's preparing them for this. And He's about to die right in front of them. Everything's going to change. This is a great example of this. Things are going to change. They've been walking with Him for three years plus. They've seen Him raise the dead. <clears throat> They've seen uh, the, the Pharisees come to kill them and arrest them. And Jesus walked through the crowd. At one point, the, the people of His own town were trying to stone Him. And He walked through them. That happened on several occasions where they were, the Pharisees were so mad at one point when He said that, that, that when He talked about, you know, you're, you are your, your father, the devil. I am my father. I know my father. And they said, well, wait a minute. Abraham was our father. And He said, before Abraham was, I am. Well, to a Jew to say, I am, is the equivalent of saying, I am God, I am Jehovah. And they were so mad that they picked up rocks to throw, and he just walked right through them. Walked right through them. And his disciples followed. They'd watched him do that. They'd watched him feed when they had no food. They watched him feed people. They, they took bread and just divided it, and it happened in their hands. They, I mean, this man was their security. He was their purpose, because remember, they left everything to follow him. They left, their, they left their homes, they left their family, and they were followed. They gave up everything, their reputation, to follow. And now he's telling them, I'm going to die. That wasn't what they went into Jerusalem on that wonderful day when all the people were coming out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, oh, this is it. This is the culmination of everything we gave up, everything up for. And now he says, no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm going to die. There's a change coming. We don't like change. 
And Jesus had to prepare them for this change, to show them, look through the change. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, he said, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the jo- he had his eyes on the joy that was set before him and not on the cross. He had to go through the cross, but his eyes were through the cross to the reward that was on the other side. And by the way, that's you and me. You and I are the joy that was set before him. So he's got to prepare his disciples for this change. He's got to prepare them. But what God has for you, the fulfillment of why you were called, is going to require a change. And that change for a while is going to be painful. But the other side of this pain, if you will go through it, is great freedom and joy. In fact, there's eternal life on the other side of it. To do it, he took an example that they were all familiar with. Verse 23 says the Son should be glorified. Verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. What's that got to do with us? Verse 25, He who loves his life or holds on to his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. He's saying this, if you hold on to what you have, if you try to hold on to it, you will eventually lose it. But if you're willing to sow it, to let it go, then what you have now will die, but that dying will produce a multitude of life and of living. So remember what we're talking about, to bring this to a close, we're talking about God bringing change in our lives. Change that affects not just you and me, but people we know. The freedom that may have, you may have been bound with fear your whole life, and now God wants to deliver you and set you free from whatever that fear is, to enjoy your life and to be able to fake the devil's use that fear to keep you from doing things that God wanted you to do. And He's paid to set us free. But in order to walk in that freedom, something has to die. I've got to be willing to take a risk. It's not going to happen just sitting in a blue chair hearing that the sun sets free is free indeed. Somewhere I'm going to have to face that fear down and find out that God will indeed come through for me. God's Word is indeed the truth. And so Jesus is saying that, that whatever it is that we're holding on to, whatever it is that's keeping us in bondage, if you hold on to it, it will die. And you, that part of you will die with it. But if you will let it go, if you will let it go and allow the change to come about, I'll be able to produce in you a harvest of change in your life. The harvest is the kingdom of God that I put in you will begin to come to the outside. And you will be free indeed. See, we'd love it if the way we get free is we end with a big line and I go down the hand and just lay hands on you and say, be free, be free, be free, be free, be free, be free, be free. But you're going to walk back out there with the same thought patterns because those strongholds have not been overcome yet. And God is in. When we started talking about the, the, the tools, God's, these tools are ordained by God. I started out talking even about change. Remember, God's on your side. This change is God's idea. He's filled you with His Spirit to enable you to change. The Holy Spirit's inside of you, waiting you, 
waiting to empower you as you step out of the boat, as you step out on the Word, as you step out into the freedom that Christ has paid to set you free, as you begin to step out when the devil tells you you've never done that before, nobody will love you, you know, you're nothing, whatever it is to overcome that image, that stronghold, you step out in spite of it and you watch what God begins to do. It breaks that stronghold over your life. And the power of God is in you to back it up, but what he can't do is step out for you. You have to take that step and then he comes through. Then he comes through. Unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, unless what has held been my security, unless what I've been holding on to, I'm willing to let it go, it will remain by itself. I'll remain in the same place. But if I'm willing to pay a price, if I'm willing to give up, this is not, it's what the Lord shows you. It's what he shows you as only he can. And you'll know it. If I'm willing to do that and let that go, then He's going to be able to release in us the freedom and the change that He wants to release in us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that as we come to the end of this time of Your Word, and we've spent weeks now looking at change and how our mind works and the wonderful things that You've been able to show us. I pray for everyone here tonight, Father that you would begin to show them the areas of their life that you want to bring change about, that you want to set them free in, and that you inspire them to know, Father, that you are living on the inside of them to enable them to do it. The things in our life, Father, that we may be holding on to that are comfortable to us, that, are, that we've learned to live with, help us to see them again afresh and realize this is what's holding us back. Help us to realize that you are inside of us, inspiring us, helping us to change, to break that habit, to make that difference, to step into that new position, or whatever that risk is, Lord, that you are there to help us to do that. And help us, to Lord, to have the boldness, the desire, where there's a lack of, des- of a real determined desire. Holy Spirit, show us that it's possible. Show us that and strengthen that desire inside of us. Help us to be open, to face the truth, and to be teachable, Father. And give us the grace and power to pay whatever the price is, Lord. Show us the joy that's set before us. Take us by thy hand and lead us through this land of change. And for that we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.